Welcome back for another week. Our learning is dedicated to for all those in need. Baruch Hashem, we are at the end of the summer, and this is the uh, the final shear, please God, until before I head back to Eretz Yisrael. Looking forward next week to Parakid Aleph, broadcast live from my home in Ramat Yechemesh. But in the meantime, I am grateful to all those that have hosted this past summer and have given me the opportunity to still share Torah, despite the fact that uh, each week, or sometimes um, two weeks in a row, we were in different places and had a chance to, to teach Torah nonetheless. And so we will begin our next parak. But before we start parak at Aleph, I have to be uh, I have to be honest that uh, I got a message from David Lubin late, early in the week, saying that he had a question on Pasuk Nun Hey. And I actually was very happy. Just like last week with Arthur Marks and his question, it kind of pulls us back to the parak beforehand. But this week I was particularly grateful because it's not a very long parak and it's not a very rich parak in content. And so I wasn't really sure how much time we really would have to be able to um, make it all happen. But I think that this question that David asked should give us a little bit of an opportunity to explore um, an interesting idea based on the wording of Pasuk Nunhei. So Pasuk Nunhei says, Vayru ishi yisrael see, whoever that is, probably not all of the Jewish people, but the Jews that were affected by Avimelech's rule, they see that he died. ish lim komo. And each person goes back lim komo to his place. So David asked, what does it mean lim komo? Why does it say vayilchu ish lim komo? Shouldn't it be maybe that there's a little bit more than just a makom? They go to their home. They go somewhere. It also just seems like he dies and then they just each go back. Nothing has changed. So I, I said to him, I sent him this pasuk um, from Vayetze. And I said, take a look at it. Because perhaps this could answer the question. This is after the, the major uh conflict at the on the mountaintop between Lavan and Yaakov. Lavan gets up in the morning. He kisses his sons and his daughters. He blesses them. And Lavan goes and returns Lim Komo to his place. And then Pasuk Bet, right after, says Yaakov goes on his way. And he bumps into the angels of God. Lavan goes lim komo, and Yaakov goes lidarko. What exactly is the difference between a makom and a derech? And I'm not 100% certain. I, I don't know if I've ever seen this answer. Perhaps I have. And uh, and I'm simply repeating a, a thought that I've heard over the years. I'm not 100% certain. But I want to take a look at one more pasuk. Take a look at pasuk hafei. It is from the end of Parashat Balak. Vayakam bilam vayelech vayashav lim komo. Bilam goes and Vayashav Limpomo. He goes back to his place. Now there is a, a fascinating medrash that says that Lavan is Bilam. It's the same person, which should like raise a lot of questions midrashically how these two personalities could be the same person when there's hundreds of years in between. But nonetheless, Vayashav Limpomo. It's exactly, exactly the same language. Vayelech Vayashav Limpomo. He goes back to his place. And then it says the Gam Balak Balak goes back on his way. Now, the 
I don't have a great answer for Halach Lidarko by Balak, but I feel like I have to be honest and saying that I'm I'm not sure exactly what to do with that part. But but let's take for a moment the question. What is the difference between a makom and a derech? Are they the same thing? So I'd like to suggest the following. A makom is like your home. It's your place. It's confined. A derech is a path. It's a journey. I'll share with you a beautiful idea that uh, that I heard in the name of Rabbi Lichtenstein from Rabbi Penner. So the it says, You can put the mezuzah on your home and on your gate. So the first time in Tanakh that we have Bayit and Shar together is in Parsha Bayitzeh. When Yaakov is leaving, it says that he sleeps on this mountaintop and he wakes up in the morning and says, Ein zekim beit elokim. Oh my goodness, I had no idea. I'm in Beit Elokim. And this is the gate to heaven. It says of Lichtenstein, what does that exactly mean? Bayit, Shar, what exactly is the difference? So he says a bayit is a physical space that's confined. That is where you are. And that's fine. You need a home. You need a place to put your stuff. You also need a place that can protect you. But what's a shower? A shower is a, uh, it's a gateway. It's a pathway. It's your limitless potential. A bayit is what I am. A shower is what I can be. A bayit is a place to stay safe and hold myself in. A shower is a place to grow. Perhaps you could suggest the same thing here. When it says that each person goes limkomo, they go home. What is home? Home is a static place. What I was yesterday, I will likely be tomorrow. What I will be tomorrow, I will likely be in two, three, five, ten years. Abide is a place where we stay safe. We hold still. A derek. And a shower are the unlimited potential. It is the capacity for us to grow. What they declare is Avimelech is dead and nothing changes. There's no difference today than what from what was and what will be. But Yaakov goes Limkomo. I'm sorry, Yaakov goes Lidarko. Yaakov says, What do you mean? I'm not going back to the place I am, but I'm going to go on a path, on a journey. Where I am today is not where I'm going to be tomorrow or the next day or in a year from now or five years from now. And I think that that's perhaps the message of where the Jewish people are in Sefer Shoftim. Ish lim komo. Everybody goes to their place. and They say, I accept that this is what I am. This is who I am. This is where I am. But that is not Yaakov Halacha Darko. I honestly don't know how that works with Begam Balak Halacha. So if anybody has a suggestion on that, happy to hear that. But that's my take on derech versus makom. And that's why the Jewish people, they, nothing has changed. And I think that that is probably the perfect um, introduction to our next parak. Parak Yod starts off with what we'll call the mini shofar, the minor judges. We have the major judges. If I were to ask you to list the major judges, I'm sure that top on your list of who we've learned so far would probably be Devorah, Gedo, Ehud, Atniel to a certain extent. And then you have these minor judges. Who's a minor judge? Shamgar. What do you know about him? One puzzle. He kills 600 people to push them with an axe goat. Okay, 
Not sure what we do with that. He's a minor judge. But what was interesting is that we had judge one and two. Then we took a break with a mini judge. And then we had three and four, or four and five rather. And now we're taking a break again. And this time we're introducing two shofim. And the question is, what do we do with this? What is the purpose of this introduction? So let's take a look at the passage. He comes after Avimelech to save the Jewish people. Tohu, Tola ben Pua ben Dodo Ishisafar. It is Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo. Most people suggest that Dodo is the name of a person. That's what most of the Mepharshim say. It could be a name that sounds somewhat similar to David. Ishisafar is a man from Ishisafar. He lives in Shamir, which is in Harafrayim. Where is Shamir? This map that I have below is absolutely worthless. You will not find Shamir. You will not find Harafrayim. So you take a look. I, I shared on the right corner the a, a, an excerpt from the uh, the Datnik. So Dr. Ali Tzur says, It is the northern, northeastern part near Gilboa. Now, if you take a look at the screen, oh, did not want to do that. Oh, lost the map. Yeah, right around there. I guess I messed up something there. Right around there is where Gilboa is. Now, that is not in, that might be called Har Ephraim, but it is actually nowhere near Shevet Ephraim. It's up in the northern part of Menashe. So he says, Har Ephraim, Hukhativa Geography. It is a geographic land. Gilboa and this mountain range in Harafrayim, it goes and touches Yisachar, Nasha, and maybe it goes down towards Ephraim. I'm not even sure if it goes all the way down because the mountain range, if you look on Google Maps, is to the north of the city of Shechem. Okay. He's judged for 23 years. He dies and he's buried in Shamir. Now, what do we know about him? Nothing. Who is the enemy? No idea. What was the suffering of the Jewish people? Clueless. All we know is that he came low Shiat Yisrael. His name is Tola ben Pua, and he's from Yisachar, and he's judged for 23 years. So let's take a look at the Malbim. The Malbim says, what do you mean, lo Shia et Yisrael? The Chiddush is that after Avimelech, they need someone who actually will succeed in judging them. So who do they pick? They pick this guy, who actually is a judge and he's a Moshia. That is what, that is what the Malbim says. The Radak, though, says, Lodia Sibat Sorry. Shagam Avimelech Hoshiat Yisrael. Also, Loshet Yisrael, just like Avimelech, he came to save the Jewish people, just like Avimelech. He would not have been counted as one of the Shoftim, and he would not have been counted in. When it said Vayasar al Yisrael, if he ruled over the Jewish people, that would not have been. So the Radak and the Malbim completely disagree. It is the Malbim who says that um, 
that Avimelech was worthless. He did not do anything to save the Jewish people. Radak says, no, he was a savior of the Jewish people. But they do agree on one thing, Ben Dodo. That the Malvim says, that he was Tolavim Pua Ben Dodo. He was Tolavim Pua, Tolavim, the son of Pua, who is the son of the uncle of Avimelech, Hadod Shalo. Who's the Shalo of Avimelech? It's an interesting possibility that they both suggest. And he's, again, he's judged for 23 years. Now, who are these minor Shoftim and what are we supposed to do with them? And so I want to share with you a beautiful, beautiful idea by Rav Yigal Arya. Rav Yigal says the following, Between Ehud and Shimshon at the end, we throw in five extra Shoftim that we're given Bekitzer Nimrat very, very briefly, very, very quickly. Not a lot to tell us. And who are they? Atniel, the Shamgar ben Anat, Atniel and Anat, Shamgar ben Anat at the beginning. Interestingly, that Rav Yigal does consider Atniel to be one of the minor judges. Shnayim Lifnei Parshat Yiftach, the two before, that's over here. We have Tolov and Pua and Yair Hagil Adi. And afterwards, Shloshacharel. They are deemed the minor judges. Shame, mate. It's a it's a very um misleading name. Let's call it how it is. There's 400 years, 300 years during the era of the Shofit. Not everything that happened is written down. So he says, therefore. We can't assume that just because they're minor, they're really minor, but rather it could be that they're minor just because the Torah doesn't spill ink on them. And he says, Keep in mind that we have a whole book for Prakim, Megillat Rut, which is the story that happens by right in the time of the Shoftim. It's the same places, the same time. It's Kufa Shoftim. We have a whole safer. So he says, It is possible that we have many other judges and many other stories that also were written to Megillot. But we don't need them. There's no value to their message, so they're not there. Perhaps, perhaps that is shot over here. That the the sefer, the Megillah of of uh, of, of uh, Elimelech and the story of Ruth, that's necessary. But maybe there were many others that would fill in the blanks. If Ifzan is Boaz, so then that fills in the blank for Ifzan. But maybe there are other books out there that would fill in the blanks for us as well. So says the Gigal Ariel, which would mean that none of the Shoftim are minor. There are some parts that are just more important for us to hear. Because they're more important for us to hear, we hear about them at specific times. That's one possibility. Now, you take a look at the bottom. Here's another interesting one. It says, 
the 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 each shave that had a symbol it had a connection a meaning something and their names are often important in that process when we have the name Tolu and Pua, these are not new names. It's two of the family members, the Rashe Beit Av of the Shevet of Yisafar. Tola Upuva, who Yoshe Bishamir Ben Arevi Shimron, and he lives in Shamir, which is named after the fourth son Shimron. Says Revigal Ariel, perhaps. That what's going on here is that there are echoes of the past. Each of the Shvatim have deep connections to their past. And when they name this Shofei, Tolib and Pua, what are they trying to do? They're trying to bring back a connection to the past. Now, if this is obvious here, which it's not really so obvious, but we'll see by the next Shofei that it is probably more apparent there. So let's push ahead to Pasa again. After Tolib and Pua comes the Shofei Yair HaGiladi. He is the judge for 22 years. So we have 45 years that fit their way into five psukim. And we have virtually nothing in those psukim of real important information that we could do anything with. He has 30 sons. Who ride on 30 donkeys. And they have 30 cities. They were called Chavot Yair until this very day in Eretz Gilad. And Yair dies and is buried in Kamo. This over here on the map, map on the left side of the screen, is from Hat Tanakh, my favorite, my favorite maps out there. If you were to look at Perek, Yud. In Sefer Shoftim, the only two places that appear on our map are Kamon and Gilad. Gilad, the region that Yair is, he's Yair Ha-Giladi of Gilad. He has these cities in Chavot Yair and he dies and he's buried slightly up north in the city of Kamon. Okay. So let's, what are Ayarim? We have two Ayarim. We have Shoshim Banim Rochim Shoshim Ayarim Shoshim Ayarim Lahem. Spelt the same way, same Nikud. What exactly are they? Cities and donkeys. So Rashi, uh, not Rashi. Again, the Datnikr says, Belushon Yachid, Ir o Ayara. A city, one Ayarim becomes Ir. Nakara Katu Belushon Ophel Ashon Ayarim Ayarim, Milachad Shehoraot. Homonimia. Homonima. Hominent. The same word, but different meanings. Ashvei Larchot Archot. The Torah is using on purpose the, the, the poetic language of Ayarim, cities and donkeys, the same way. You have these 30 sons, each one probably has their own donkey, and each one has their own city. And they are rulers. That's what it sounds like. 30 donkeys, 30 cities. Okay. What exactly do we do with that? So first off, let's take a step back and realize that this should, some of this should sound familiar. You take a look at Perek Lamed Bet, I believe, in um, in Bamidbar. It says, "Vayelchu b'nei machir b'menashe Gilada, but the b'nei machir b'menashe go to Gilad, vayelkedua, and they capture it. Vayoresh et Amori Asherban, they conquer the Amori that are there. Temosh et Gilad, the machir b'menashe vayishaba, and Moshe gives the piece of land to Machir, the son of Menashe, and he lives there. 
Yair ben Menashe goes and he captures these cities. Yair ben Menashe, who's Yair ben Menashe? We don't have a Yair ben Menashe. And he, he captures these cities. He calls them Chavot Yair after himself. I believe one of the reasons why he names them Chavot Yair is he does not have any children, but he, he collects these cities and he names them after himself. It is a testimonial, a testament to his great power is grander. Chavot Yair. Wait a second. But that was what we had in our apostle, right? He has these cities and he calls them Chavot Yair Adayomazeh. But they were already called Chavot Yair a few hundred years earlier in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's take a look at Dere Yamim Parakdet. Dere Yamim Sefer Dere Yamim Sefer Aleph Parakdet. His children with Azuva, his wife, Yiriot, and these are their sons, Yesher, Shova, Azuva dies, he take, Kalev takes a wife, Ephrat, and she gives birth to Khur. Khur who led Uriv, Uri who led Bitsalo, Bitsali, Uriv, and Khur, the one that builds the Mishkan. Chetzron, who had fathered Kalev when he was 60 years old, he goes to Bat Machir, the daughter of Machir, Avi Gilad, who is the, um, who is the father of Gilad. So Bat Machir, actually coming out of Machir, should be one more. He had the son, Gilad. But Machir, has a daughter named Bat Machir, not really, but has a daughter who marries Chetzron, who is Kalev's father, but Tayled Loet Segub, and she gives birth to Segub. Segub gives birth to Yair, he has 23 cities in Eretz Hagilad. Okay. By Kach Yeshua Varamet Chavot Yair, Meitame Knafe Menotesh, Shishim Ir, Kol Elebene Machir, Avigilad. And Yeshua and Aram come. And they conquer the Chabot Yair. How many cities do they conquer? 60 cities of Chabot Yair. So in our parak, there are 30 cities. In the parak here, in Devarayam, there are 60 cities. Says the Dat Mikra, Chabot is not the same Chabot Yair, Mamash. Shari Halalu, I Bashan. They were in Bashan, who was on Shishim, Kim Arima Chero, Bagilat, Shinuku Kach, Zikaron. Yair Sr. was the one that conquered the area of Bashan, 60 cities, and it was Yair Jr., Yair Hagiladi, the Shofet, who was Mitchabed. He honors himself by remembering his ancestor, and he calls it, he calls his cities Chavot Yair. But here's the interesting thing. He is Yair Hagiladi, but he's not really Yair Hagiladi. He lives in Gilad, but really he is Yair, who's the son of Chetzon, who's from Shevet Yehuda. Seguv is the daughter, the son of Machir's daughter and Chetzon. He is from Shevet Yehuda, therefore Yair is from Shevet Yehuda. So why then does Yair call himself Yair Hagiladi and associate himself with Machir ben Menashe? So it could be that Yair ben Menashe was his mighty warrior. And his family looks and says, ah, this is a guy 
that I believe, uh, this is a guy I believe that I want to associate with. And so that is what he does. Fabulous. That's what he does. He takes the credit of being part of the Shevet of Menashe, mighty warriors. Even though he's a, Yehu, a, a, a Yehudi, he takes the credit of being there. Now, what does all this have to do with us? Now, let's take one last question. What is the significance, says the donkey, of his, what's his significance in Tanakh? So here's a beautiful Yalkut Shimon. Yalkut Shimon, says, at Reshit HaMav Gulata, the donkey, Chachamim Kalalu Behenef Echad Reshit HaMav Gulata, that our, our roots and our redemption come from the donkey. There was this donkey, this epic donkey that was created when right at the, the sixth day of creation, right before Shabbos. He saddles his donkey. This is the donkey that Moshe uses to go down to Egypt. The very same one that Avram used when he went out to and it is the, the very same one that Mashiach bin David will ride upon. The donkey is the sign of royalty and he's the sign of redemption. The donkey is the sign of royalty and he's the sign of redemption. 30 donkeys. 30 cities. That's all we know about it. What's going on? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Says the Radak, that he, Why does it tell us all this? Why do we need to know this? It's to tell us that he was a great Shofet. He was honored. He was wealthy. He had lots of kids. And every one of his kids was respected while riding on his donkey. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? The truth is that if you take a look at it carefully, I would say that it looks very nice. It sounds very good. But perhaps there's another way to look at it as well. That's what Rabbi Michael Hatt says. It is, however, odd that no other judge so far mentioned in this book was catapulted into leadership based on similar credentials. Might the text be indicating, according to Radak, that this judge came to the fore for the wrong reasons? For in the realm of judgment and leadership, he possessed dubious qualifications. Might this development, according to Radak, suggest a new trend that describes a further decline in the caliber of Israel's leaders? Which one is it? I'm not sure. Rabbi Hatton suggests the following. Why do they go back to the name of Yair? Why do they go back to Tolu Pool? Why are they harking back to an old time? Because the Jewish people, the days of old, that's what we want to go back to. But what do we think in the days of old? If we're going back to the times of the Shvatim, the times of Moshe Rabbeinu coming into the land, we're talking about times of redemptive quality. We're talking about times, good times. Good things happen. Says our says our uh, our psukim that perhaps what the Torah is trying to tell us is that there was great potential 
And you could have gone back to that time. And you have these donkeys. And donkeys are redemption. And donkeys are malucha. And yet, despite the great potential, they do not succeed. Yair Sr. was great. But Yair Jr. falls short. That perhaps is what's going on now in And so, if you want, you can take a look at the very next pasuk and perhaps you'll see that right there. Despite having a Yair, despite having a toll of they do bad in the eyes of God and they worship all the different idols. All of them. The local, the not so local. And all the enemies that we've met so far. Aram, Sidon, Moab, Amon, Lishtim. Those are the gods that they were worshipping. And God slams them on Amon on the one side and, and the Plishtim on the other side. And they really, really hit the Jewish people hard. And the Jews on the other side of the Jordan, on the eastern side of the Jordan, they're really in a bad place for 18 years. And things are bad. Really, really, really bad. And they fight with Yehuda and Yamin. It does not seem like this is, this might be the first time in, in the Sefer that it's clear that everybody was probably persecuted by the enemy. And the Jews are in a really bad place. It's really, really hard. And they cry out to God, We sin. And we, force, we, we forsook God we, and we worshipped Be'alim. This is a puzzle we've been waiting for, the whole Sefer. It's the Jewish people looking in the mirror and saying, ah, we acknowledge. We messed up. Really? You guys are being punished by these uh, the non-Jews, and you're crying to me. But you left me. Therefore, because you you left me and you decided to embrace other gods, I'm not going to save you. Go go down and go pray to your own gods, the other gods. See if they'll save. Pasuk Tevav. They say, God, we've sinned, we've done bad things, do whatever you want us, but save us. Well, which one is it? Which one? What are they trying to say? Are they doing tshuva? And we will take whatever you want, but save us. It says with Vigalaria, Chatanu, Alanu, Kechol, they accept judgment. They're, they're clapping. But there is one additional clause there. This is not a full acceptance of the din. Ella mutanit. It was conditional. God will accept any punishment but save us. 
הכתוב מסיים בביטוי קשה, מגדיר את יחסו של השם. Listen to what happens. I see the land I come to your bomb, they get rid of all their gods. Idols are gone, they have to do with Hashem and they worship God, but the Tsar Nafsho Bamal Yisel. And his nefesh was, was shortened by the Amal of Yisel, by the work of the Jewish people. Hakatuv says of Yigal Ariel, or Pasim Messiah, Bibi Tork Hashem, Agdir, Yachsoshal Hashem. It's not clear, but Tsar Nafsho Bamal Yisel. Is it good or bad? You have two opposite takes. God says, I have no patience for this. Enough already. He says, Children make their parents upset. When it says, his heart is full of anguish. He has no patience at all. God says, for 300 years, you've been worshiping idols. Now, all of a sudden, you want to be my friend? I don't know. That's one way of looking at it. The Bible says that there's a second way of looking at it. When God sees the suffering, when God sees what the Jewish people go through, what happens? He says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm willing to look the other way. That is what, that is another way to look at it. Pasuk Tetzan. And so what happens, we'll read one last Pasuk. And the Bnei Amon, they cry out. And they, they camp in Gilad. And the Jewish people are in Mitzvah. On the one side, you have the Jewish people in Mitzvah. On the other side, you have the, the Ammonites in Gilad. What exactly is going on in these Pesukim? We see that the Jewish people have fallen and they're trying to do tshuva. But let's listen to what Ravigal Ariel says. With the demise of the two minor judge, judges that filed Abimelech, the book again reverts to the convention of recounting Israel, Israelite betrayal and divine displeasure in order to indicate that we are now about to embark a new historical era. Remember in Perek Bet, we had this angel, we had this story of tshuva, crying, whatever. Introduction. Before Gidon, we had another one, a Navi, introduction. Here we have these, Shoftim, and then this story, introduction. It marks a new time, further decline. The exploits of all these final leaders will rise after Tola, the son of Kuan, Yair of Gilad, are recounted in chapters 11 to 16. They, in turn, will usher in the book's final dismal chapters. The last judges will neither possess the dignity nor achieve the success of even their immediate predecessors. If we thought that there was a problem in where Gidon was, we can only imagine what is coming up next. That is what we're going to see in the coming weeks. As we learn the story of Yiftach and then Shimshon next week and the week after, we will see a Jewish people that is not in a good place at all. And yet they seem to be going down and down and down and down and down. And that's why perhaps the Tzitzar Nasho Bamal Yisrael, God is just like fed up. What do you want from me? I don't know what to do anymore. You guys just can't seem to figure it out. And that is the sad story where the Jewish people are. Mirat Hashem will pick up next week with the beginning of Yiftach. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the prophets.